everybody. Welcome to Light the Fight. I'm David. And I'm Heidi. We're back coming at you with some more life-changing information packaged in sarcasm. <laughs> and uh, all the sarcasm comes from Heidi. I'm, I'm a little too serious for this podcast, but she's loosened me up a That's little right. bit. That's right. That's right. You've come a long way, Dave. I'm way. impressed. Thank you. <laughs> Um, but no, thanks uh, for joining us as always here at Light the Fight. And if you're new to Light the Fight, just know that you're listening to a podcast that's all about relationships. So if you meant to say, you meant to go to Light the Future or some other podcast. Like the meal planning. Like the meal planning. <laughs> We're about relationships. I think mostly we talk about personal, interpersonal, intimate relationships like family members and close friends. And so that's what you're going to get in this episode and all the episodes before and after that. So hopefully you have enjoyed our podcast and hopefully you're about to enjoy what we're about to talk about today because I'm extremely excited about talking about something that is not exciting for Heidi to talk about. <laughs> but the reason why I'm excited to talk about is because I just, I've seen a huge change in you, Heidi. And when I say a huge change in you, you know, when you're around someone all the time, maybe they've uh, lost weight or maybe they've made some big changes in their life. I haven't lost weight, just in case you're wondering. (laughs) I wasn't going to say that. Okay. This is an example. Okay. Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. I just didn't want anyone to be like. Listen, let's let the world know for a second. How many days have you gone without eating out? I'm on day seven of not eating fast food. There you go. But that doesn't count. Like Diet Coke. Oh, of I course mean, you can not. like go through and get a fast food Diet Coke and not get the food because right. technically you're drinking it's it. So there, you a, found a loophole. I mean, there's some fast drinks. <laughs> you found a loophole because I'm using the and. Did I'm you? eating healthy food and I'm having a cookie. There you go. Anyway, if you haven't listened to the and, it's, li- it's also life changing. <laughs> <laughs> so, what I was talking about is, um, when you're around someone all the time, you see them so often, it's hard to notice small changes. But every now and then, even someone you're around all the time, you just kind of see something is happening and happening right in front of your eyes. And all joking aside, this past week, and Heidi and I will get into it, but this past week is the hardest week of the year for Heidi and her family because it is the, the marking of the passing of your son. And because of that, the past two years before um, have been extraordinarily excruciatingly difficult. The weeks leading up to it, the time of it, the time after it. And I don't know what had happened, but today I saw Heidi earlier. She and I had a meeting somewhere. And right when you came out of the car and I saw you, to be honest, I expected to see a lot more bags under your eyes. I expected to see a lot more of like that hammer, like, hey, I'm here. It's good enough. <laughs> like, just sit there, Heidi, and just smile and maybe create something to impress people <laughs> and I'll do the rest of the talking. But it was quite different. Heidi, you, like there was just something quite settled about where you're at. Um, the way the way I got the vibe from you is that, yes, this is the hardest week of the year for me. Yes, it's extraordinarily painful. Yes, I miss my son. And somehow, some way throughout all of that, I'm evolving. My capacity to take on more opportunities such as this podcast, your capacity to speak to more people about these subjects. Because when you're talking about the things you're talking about with people, you're not talking about something you read in a book. It's something you're still living and going through the hurt and pain and the loss of your son to suicide. So every time I'd see you talk about these things, I mean, it was like, all right, Heidi's off for the next week. (laughs) (laughs) Right. She's going to be Netflix and taking a chill pill. Just preparing. Just preparing to try to gear up for the next. So before it was like you'd gear up 
you'd show up and then you'd crash. You'd right. rest, recover, gear up, show up. Now I'm seeing it. It's like you're showing up, you're handling it, you're resting just enough, and then you're moving forward. I'm not seeing you having these huge ebbs and flows and these highs and lows like you did before. I'm seeing it kind of smoothing out. And I don't know if I'm just, I'm, I'm reading into it too much, but I just want to tell you, I, whatever it is you're doing, whatever it's happened, you're definitely making a huge impact on me, uh, impacting everybody in your life and your family, because it's no secret. I can't do this without you. Like I, I, I can show up and I can talk and I can crack all my jokes, but they're just not funny if you're not making fun of my jokes. <laughs> it, it, it just doesn't work without you being able to be here to talk about these things. So I was always worried that I was going to push you too far, that the requirements of the podcast of us talking, all the speaking engagements we have coming up, I'm like, can Heidi handle it? Can Heidi handle it? And this week, well, just after today was the first time I looked at you, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to ever ask that question again. Like I, I actually have confirmation that I always knew you could handle it, but for some reason now I'm not even worried about it. Well, I appreciate that. It's a big, it's a big compliment. Um, and you know, the, this week didn't, isn't as smooth as, as you know, what you were saying. It, hey, I saw you today, <laughs> not earlier in the week. So, <laughs> so it, it's been, it's been interesting and, and we'll talk about it a little bit more, I think, but. Um, I am going to say something before we kind of rewind a little, and that is I can't believe how much talking, um, exposing my shame, um, sharing, being open, learning, I mean, we joke a lot that every single episode is like a breakthrough moment for me. And, and it's actually not a joke. It's free, free therapy for <laughs> Heidi now. <laughs> that's how you, you found out a way for you not to pay uh, me that's for right. the therapy. It's, it's perfect. It's working out really well. Um, things that I even thought that I understood. You know, like I sat down and wrote a list. These are the, the topics I want to talk about because they were things that I knew were important. And yet every time we talk about them, it opens me up more with more understanding and more acceptance and more willingness to own what's going on. And um, I do feel more peaceful. And, and <laughs> that doesn't take away my sadness. It doesn't take away... Um, my regrets because I think you could talk to anybody who's lost anybody or anything. There's regret. I don't care what that Imagine Dragon song says. <laughs> you know, he's like, no regrets. And actually sometimes I try to get hyped up listening to that song. I'm like, I'm not going to regret it. Um, I have serious regrets. And There's this quote by Maya Angelou that I hear in my head multiple times a day. And it goes like this. It says, forgive yourself for what you didn't know before you learned it. And that is my motto. That is my mission statement. Every day, um, 
trying to like because of this podcast and and the content and what it took me to, to get to this point to be willing to talk about it and you know for those of you who have listened from the beginning and if you like go back and you listen to one of our particularly the first four episodes and you listen to me stutter and not be able to find words was scared out of my mind. I I just I I sat here across from Brandon and David and my hands sweat. And and I, and I was I was I felt horrible. And then I would listen to the podcast and be like, "Spit it out, Heidi," you know, and you know I'm trying to like I'm trying to be calm, I'm trying to joke around, but it was hard. And now I come and I can remember words. It's amazing. I, I mean, I thought I was having a stroke. <laughs> um, turns out talking helps a lot. And um, it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be published um, talking to anybody, talking to your own camera, <laughs> right? Um, talking to God, talking to the people that you love the most. Um, and it doesn't even have to be about specific topics, but just talking it out, connecting, realizing, you know, I had an awesome experience just just yesterday at work where there's a couple moms that I work with and they, you know, acknowledged that it was this time of year and asked me a couple of questions and we got talking and, you know, we all have the same fears. We all have the same worries. And we're all super different places as moms. But that connection, connecting with the fear and talking about it was, was huge. And so I've, I have learned so much. So I honestly, I think those of you who are listening, um, I think Brandon for pushing the button and, and David, I, I thank you for, you know, being patient as I, as I'm trying my best to work through this. Well, just like the saying says, the truth will set you free. And by talking, you've just been speaking things that are true. And the more you were talking about your insecurities, your, your fails, all the things you've been ashamed of, you started to get comfortable with just talking about what you've been through. And that set you free. And I guess that's probably what I was trying to say is that you just seem to have leveled up and you seem to be in a much more comfortable place where you can still have all the shame, you can still have all the insecurities, but because you become more, you become more well-versed at talking about them, more comfortable talking about them, they just don't have the same power and influence to bring you down. And when they do bring you down, it doesn't hold you down as long. You're able to kind of keep, you're able to kind of keep rolling through it, despite the fact that you had a week where you have to mourn the death of your son. Well, 4th of July. My entire life, the 4th of July has been party from, from the night before on through the day, the next day, it's, it's always been a three day festivities full of family food. We weren't supposed to eat like only God on the 4th of July, root beer on the 4th of July or, you know, whatever, matching t-shirts, parades, fun, swimming in creeks, you know, like my entire life is just 
cram-packed full of happy 4th of July memories. And three years ago, I had, I had this big product releasing. They're called Marquee Lights. And I set up before 4th of July, because when you're a blogger or, you know, whatever, well before the holiday, you got to set up a, you got to set up a party so you can take the photos so that you can post those photos before the party so that people can be inspired by your party when it's actually the holiday. It's all jacked up. <laughs> but I was playing the game. And three years ago, I set up this awesome party. And I actually had to invite my family. We actually had to celebrate 4th of July early. Um, and so there was like, I had, I had prepped everything to, to make it a, not only a really fun, but it was also beautiful, which is important to me. And um, so when the 4th of July came three years ago, we had a great holiday. It was at our family cabin. There was this swing that we were just, it was new. It, it was like a death-defying swing, tree swing. Um, and it, you know, is at that time in my life where the kids, they want to be with the family, but they also want to be the friends. And so my boys were kind of like negotiating if, if they could go down to the fireworks and then come back up. And I didn't want them driving in the canyon. And there was all these kind of push and pull um, and so they came up, they had a great time with, with our family, with cousins. They, I, I let them go down. I, I let them go down, back down to the valley and have fireworks with friends. And then they came back up the next morning. I trusted them. I, I let them stay at the house alone, drive alone on this trip back and forth from the cabin. And these were things that, that were big steps for me as a, with a 16 and and an almost 18-year-old sons. And I was transitioning. I thought I was really progressing, you know, like. Um, we had a great time. Two days later, three days later, 4th of July is my youngest son's birthday, Connor's birthday. And Connor turns, turned seven three years ago. Uh, sorry, he actually turned eight. He, he turned eight. And on that birthday, I wanted everybody to come. Con Connor wanted to go to Lagoon. I wanted my boys to come. They, they didn't. They didn't want to. They had other stuff. I didn't force them to come. And two days later, is when Corey took his own life after a lot of three days of some anxiety attacks, some situations that I didn't, I didn't know how to handle. I didn't handle well. Um, some circumstances with his friends, with the girlfriend, with his phone, with, he took off one night and I spent two hours looking for him, scared. But entwined in those three days were also the deepest conversations I'd ever had with him. 
we talked about God and we talked about friends and we talked about the meaning of life and So when the 4th of July comes, even just thinking about the 4th of July, the parades or the rodeos or the t-shirts start showing up, it starts to, it just starts to set the scene. And it starts me questioning everything that I did and said, and <laughs> I can remember it vividly, like, I don't have that great of a memory, and man, can I ever remember. It's like, it's like a perfectly preserved week. Like no other week. In this particular year, this year, my husband was out of town. for a really great reason. And we knew he'd be out of town over this time and we made the decision that we'd be okay. And then uh, I got sick. Like I had this super weird infection flare up. And If anybody ever tries to tell you the link between mental and physical isn't real, <laughs> I can tell you that my body was fighting, fighting off these feelings. Um, so I fought to go to the 4th of July and have a good time with my family. I, I fought against a real life infection I fought against my expectations. I fought against my inadequacies. I felt bad that I, I couldn't throw a party. I couldn't have people over. I can't, I can't do that. And I'm blessed that my family steps up. My sister-in-law had us all over and <laughs> like I was legit down in my bed so I couldn't really do anything which was a nice excuse because mentally I couldn't have done anything either but anyway um, that's when it starts that's when it sets in like and then it was Connor's birthday and uh, Eric was out of town still and I needed to make sure that this 11 year old felt loved and valued and necessary I didn't know where I was going to get it to give. And it made me mad. Mad. I was hiding in my closet, raging mad so that Connor wouldn't see that I was mad. And you know I was mad because <laughs> if Colton and Corey were here, then they could be the, the party clowns they could be providing the fun and I wouldn't have to. <laughs> Man, they would know what to buy him. And if they give him, it didn't matter what they would give him. He would love it. 
But I really, like, didn't know what to give him. <laughs> and there was all my, like, I should have made Corey come to Lagoon <laughs> three years ago. Whatever, all the regret. Um, by the time the day actually came, I was tired <laughs> of being bad. I'm so thankful for Quincy because um, Sunday night, which is when we were going to go put flowers on, on grave, and I had made, I had made this grave marker because I don't, of course, I don't have a grave marker. That's a probably a different podcast topic, <laughs> but. Um, I made this standing up one out of wood and I called my family and we were all going to go over there. And, and I had in, in my mind, I, so it was, imagine, um, it's cut out of wood and it, it's a wolf. And if you look on our Instagram, I posted a picture of it there. It's 36 inches by 36 inches with dowels so that it would stick in the ground. And then I wanted flowers underneath it, but they couldn't be too high. They kind of had to be wide. And so I had to go to Lowe's and I bought this planter. But the planter, it was made out of plastic, but it was too tall. So I had to get a hot knife out of the garage and cut the top three inches off of the planter. So it was just the right height so that the flowers would be just the right amount so that they weren't too high. So I had to go buy bushels of flowers from Costco on the Sabbath. Don't tell anyone. The ox was in the mire. Anyway, I bought the I bought the flowers and we went and actually DIY'd the flower arrangement just because I didn't want it to be too high. I couldn't, I couldn't know for sure how it was gonna look until it was on the grass. We get it all done. Oh, and I hadn't thought through like it was exactly at dinner time that we're going and everybody was hungry. I hadn't even thought about food. Like I, I was emotionally like fed by my feelings. And um, we get there, and they're, like, hungry. And so we decide to order pizza. We called Domino's and said, do you guys order, do you guys deliver to the cemetery? And luckily, Quincy's super charming. And, uh, yeah, pretty soon, 15 minutes later, we had two pizzas delivered to the cemetery. And (laughs) And so we're having, like, this pizza picnic flower arranging class on this non-grave markered site. And the next thing I know, the sprinklers come on. And it's like, oh, you know, like the hyper spaz freak out. We're about ready to get hit by the sprinklers and <laughs> all of us at the same time. This is totally Corey. Corey would totally spray us while we were <laughs> sitting here trying to eat pizza. Trying to honor him. <laughs> <laughs> And then the monsoon storm hits, and I knew that the, that my little sign wouldn't withstand the monsoon for very long. Um, but it's hard for me to explain. And luckily, my husband understands, and my kids understand, and my family understands. It's hard for me to explain why it's important for me to have flowers that are the certain height and the and the sign that looks just that way and made me feel good. That's how I, that's how I honor. 
That's how I honor him. And, uh, he knew. He knows. And, uh, and then I was out of gas. Being sad and mad, and I could just kind of be there. And then, after a lot of shaming from my family, <laughs> and, uh, it really bothers my kids that we don't have a grave marker. And uh, and I could I could rant about this, and I'm not going to right now. But I was the best, smartest, kindest to me for me decision that I made was not being bullied into to choosing a grave marker of Corey died. Because they really, really want you to just check all the boxes. They just want to nip it all up and tuck it and tie it in a bow and be done with you. And I could not do it. And for the last three years, his birthday's come and Memorial Day's come and everybody's asked me, when are you going to do the, gra the marker? And Right before, like two weeks ago, we discovered the temporary marker was missing. And that was really like a kick in the gut. Like, oh, great. I don't, now I don't even have a temporary marker. We can't even find it. We don't even know where it really, you know, like, I felt horrible. Um, so on July 10th, on the day that he was declared dead, I slept until 12.30. Nobody woke me up. I got up and we went and we ordered the marker. And I knew exactly what I wanted. I drew it, paid for it. I didn't cry. I knew what I wanted. I was ready. And I felt great about that decision. But it took me three years. And I'm just really thankful to the, to the people who let me take my time on that. Because I'd be so mad if I was going and I hated it. Because that visual thing is everything to me, you know, that's my way. So I guess what you saw from me today is that there's a process and I am getting better at the process. And every day I tell myself to forgive myself for not knowing what I know now. Forgiving yourself is the hardest thing that anybody will ever ask you to do. You can forgive other people. Forgive anybody, really, for anything, probably. But man, we're hard on ourselves.
but I can tell you right now, and I will never tell you that I'm thankful that Corey passed away. I will never tell you that I'm thankful for this situation. But I'm a better person because of Corey. I'm a more peaceful, empathetic, compassionate, understanding faithful person. And I'm going to allow myself to be thankful for that. Well, thanks for giving all the details and, and explaining basically like what I'd seen because I knew that a lot had happened, but this is the first time I've heard from you about the week because I also know don't ask someone that's grieving the death of their child. Say, so how's your week been? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's a, uh, yeah. You'd have my permission to slap me or punch me, whichever you prefer. Um, so I, I could, I was only imagining what you'd gone through, but now kind of hearing how you had, what you'd actually gone through and, and, you know, just getting, you know, um, that ordered, like you said, and it's been three years. It, it reminded me of something that we were talking a little bit about, um, before the podcast, before we started recording. And um, a lot of times people um, are looking for safe places. And the reason why, well, there's lots of reasons why people want to be safe. One, it's it's in our dinner, right? <laughs> it's uh, safety is, is the best place where we can, where we can rest, we can recover, we can heal. However, Sometimes we look for safe places, hoping things will make us feel safe because we know if we're safe that that's the first step to recovery and that's the first step to progression. But sometimes, and especially in your situation, when you lose your child, um, there, there's no safety in that. Like there's no safe place. Everything feels unsafe. Everything feels unsettled. It's it's in transition. It's in chaos. It's in turmoil, and I'm glad you you didn't take to the to the pressure of picking. It was the tombstone, right? The, yeah. The gravestone, right? Yeah. I, I'm glad you didn't take to that and felt well. Obviously, you felt the pressure, but that you didn't succumb to the pressure, because in certain situations in life, we can't find a safe space. We have to build it, and I think it's safe to say that. It took you the past three years, slowly, one step at a time, one piece at a time with you, your friend, your family, myself, and you know everyone who's close to you, around you. Everyone helped you put some of the bricks in that wall. Um, everyone helped you, you know, be a part of you creating this safe space. But you're realizing something that, unfortunately, all too often people that find a safe place don't realize. And what that is, is finding a safe place does not mean that your desire or your search for safety is over. In fact, when you find a safe place, rest, recover, heal, progress, get stronger, because you're going to have to leave that safe place again. And what I mean by that is you can't progress in life when you're entirely, completely safe. In fact, safety is a holding place. 
when when companies are trying to make it a safe environment for their people to work there, that's an ongoing challenge. When families are trying to make it a safe environment for their kids, they're like, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to do my best to make money. What if you get laid off? What if now you don't have the financial safety and security? Well, what do you got to do then? Back to the drawing board, get online, find another job. Safety is something that we're constantly looking for because it is something that we need, but it's only part of our evolution and our development. We're never 100% completely safe. We're always weighing the odds of if I marry this person, if I date this person, is that going to make me safer or less safe? Sometimes we create and build safe environments and they're safe at one moment, but later on, they're not safe anymore, so we have to pack up and build another safe environment. Now, safe spaces, it's, it's quite a buzz term, and I think it's being used very loosely, and I, I think that's amazing and great that at schools and colleges and work and families, people are more focused on safety, but it's the first step, not an ending point. When I'm talking with families, feeling emotionally safe and secure, I always tell them, is goal and step number one. Once you feel emotionally safe and secure, then you get to do step number two, which is continue to build a better family, continue to evolve. To build a better family, you have to go out into the world. You have to take risks, chances. You have to put yourself out there. As we like to talk about, it. you have to be assertively vulnerable. You have to apply for a new position that you may not get. You have to um, take calculated risks that there's nothing safe about that, but the goal is by t making that risk, it'll elevate you and step you up to another level of security and safety. But even once you're there, don't get comfortable. There's something else that life's going to throw at you. And it doesn't mean you're not safe anymore. It simply means you have more work to do to continually add safety and security to yourself, your family, your friends, your job, whatever it may be. Well, let, let's rewind just a second. You know, as you mentioned we were talking about safe places kind of before the podcast. And so I want to just connect the dots why we were talking about that and then and why we were talking about um, Corey's incident. And the regret that I have is that I didn't understand at that time. I didn't have the knowledge, the understanding, the... Um, I, I didn't have what I have now to create a safe place for Corey. Um, he was in crisis in his own realm. And I didn't, I didn't recognize what was going on. And I didn't know, like, I thought that he was safe with me. I wanted I, well, I want to be safe, and I love you, and I'm trying to keep you safe, and so this is this is safe. But what was really happening is that he knew that if he told me what was going on, or if he tried to explain it to me, or whatever else, I would freak out. It may not be safe for him anymore. It would not be safe for him. He he was not willing to really tell me what was happening, or to really uh, allow himself to exist in a safe place that I thought that I had created. So the reason why we were talking about this is because that's what I hope, there I went. That's what I'm hoping 
this podcast is doing is helping you as a parent learn these skills that David keeps repeating. We keep repeating things like making statements, being assertively vulnerable. Um, you know, nothing else is coming to mind right <laughs> right now because you know I'm having a stroke. But anyway, um, these skills that we keep talking about in every one of these episodes are those building blocks for this safe, this in theoretical safe place that when your child is in crisis or they need a place to come to that both of you are going to recognize, okay, we need a safe place and so all other bets are off. Stop asking me questions. Stop grounding me from my phone. Like bring down your worry about my, my grade. Stop worrying about my haircut or what time I got home last night or how short my shorts are or whatever else is going on. And so that's kind of what I like about what you just said is that it's a temp it can be a temporary haven. That doesn't mean, okay, now from for the next five years you can just stay here and be a complete lamo and not get a job and I'll just protect you from the world. Being a safe place has to respond to the situation. But then it also, when, when the settle has happened, when the relationship has been established, when the temperature has come down and the emotions have come down, that you can safely say, let's go again. No, I want you to get back out there. Yeah, safety is definitely not the absence. Okay, so having a safe place, just to use the general terminology, like I said, safety is the first initial step of creating a safe place. But once you're safe, then you can heal, then you can be strengthened. So safety, a safe place is not the absence of danger. It's not the absence of trial or struggles or whatever it may be. It's a place where you could gather your thoughts and feelings, you can grow and you can strengthen yourself, so therefore you're more equipped to take on all the dangerous challenges that are happening in your life. It's not a place that you create, it's something that you create inside of yourself and then you bring it to every place that you're at. And you work to bring it to every place that you're at. If you're listening to this podcast and you're saying, hey, I, my goal is to create a safe environment for my family. Maybe you're a part of a big social movement and you're saying, hey, my goal is to be able to protect the rights of people in the LGBTQ community. Uh, my goal is to protect the safety and keep people safe in all these harsh environments. The first step is to create a place where that the danger is minimized to the point where people can rest. Once the shelter is provided, um, sometimes figuratively or just in giving people support and there's a safe haven there for them, you have to start moving forward to creating a greater strength inside of yourself, inside of your family, inside of your community, because the storms will come again. And when they come again and you're only trained and conditioned to run and look for safe places, 
What if you are the safe place? What if you're the mirroring, shining example in your house, in your business, that when the crap hits the fan, you know how to handle it? So that's why I always tell people, yeah, safe place is great, but what if you're the person that creates safety and you bring it to every place you're at, you model it for other people, and your community is strengthened by your strength, therefore everyone feels safer because everyone's stronger. I go to a lot of therapy and counseling seminars all the time, and I, I always have these discussions with people because most people focus on a safe place as making sure no one can hurt you or attack you. Okay, well, that's not the world we live in. <laughs> right. But it is, I'm not saying that I'm not making fun of safe places. I'm saying that, yes, being out of harm's way is the very first step. But once you're out of harm's way, do you just build the walls bigger and higher so nothing can ever hurt you again? Or... Do you plan a route so that you can get out of that scenario, build enough strength with inside yourself or your group of friends or whoever it may be, so that when you get into another dangerous scenario, you're already bringing safety with you. Safety is, re is, safety is reassured through strength. It takes a whole lot of strength and effort to collectively bring people together and unify them. I see, a, I see a safe place having these, some of these attributes and characteristics, and there's probably a lot more. One, uh, a manageable uh, place where you can manage threats and dangers. So uh, safety is, is a high probability. Two, it's a place that when you're around other people, you're sharing experiences, you're connecting because that feels safe when you're relating and, and you're talking and, and you're expressing yourself. Three, when people are all working in a harsh environment to better one another's lives instead of trying to look like your life is better. And then finally, a process of, okay, now that we've encouraged each other, now that we've built each other up, what can we do to widen this area and this space that we're at so that we have more space for other people to heal and we have a system to keep people from danger, help them heal, strengthen them up, and get them back out into the rest of the world so that they can start taking strength, aka safety, to all their other places that they visit. What's interesting to me about what you just said is I think that when we're in crisis, we're upset, something's gone wrong, and I'm, and I'm talking about myself or even a child. What I find is that we kind of want to withdraw. Like we want to go be alone somewhere. And um, so nobody can ask us questions or, or maybe people have to see us break down or we don't want, maybe we, we aren't ready to face it. So we don't want to talk about it, whatever. Um, I, I mean, I felt that way even last week. I was kind of in a way, I was mad that Eric wasn't there because I n needed help. But the other side of it, like, <laughs> I didn't want to have to be strong for anybody either. I, I was kind of alone, and so it, I was just allowed to, you know, be alone. But one of the things you said about safety is being able to connect. And so I think even, even Corey at, at that time, he wanted to be alone. He want to go and figure it out himself, um, pulling away, you know, but really safety is in numbers. Safety is yep. um, with, with people, 
who, who are working together. And, and when I'm talking to a lot of people, they're so distressed if they're suicidal, depressed, and, you know, maybe they've gone through harsh circumstances where they've lost loved ones, they've battled cancer. I'm not saying I've talked to people in every scenario, but I've had a lot of different situations, odd situations, horrible situations that people came to me. And it is quite often where people think that the only thing they can do in chaos or tragedy is to cover up, is to pull back and to not talk, to not share what's going on because that would be unsafe. Maybe at certain points, it isn't the right time. Like for you, maybe it wasn't the right time to get the headstone. That wasn't safe for some reason. But the goal is to not become a person that's good at finding places where no one is going to see you. The goal is to become a person that you're so strong that when they see you, they can see your scars, they can see your smiles, they can see your wins, they can see your losses, and they respect you for your journey and the things you've gone through. That is the safest place when we're transparent, when we're open, when we're relatable, when we're connecting. And like you said, there's strength in numbers, there's safety in numbers. It's because we can do, we can get through the hardest times in our life a whole lot faster if we are not going through those things alone. So safe places, I'm glad that people are focusing on safe places, but I think people get to a safe they talk about safety, safe places, and they stop there and we focus on how do we maintain the safety of this place? I said, well, the first thing that you could do is ask yourself, what are you doing to add greater value to the safety of that group? A lot of times people will say, well, I just want people to make it safe for me so no one attacks me. I said, yeah, well, I mean, that's good for a little bit of time, but do you want to be a victim your whole entire life of a circumstance? Do you want to be a person who's running from any attack? Or do you want to be a person who's out in front of the attack? Or as I like to say it, sometimes your very best defense is a really good offense. Are you in front of the things that are happening in your life? Are you strengthening yourself so that you can take the punches and the blows of life better? Or are you getting better at ducking and hiding from the challenges of life? Now, I'm not judging or criticizing people, but when I talk to people, they have to ask themselves that. I can't do, I can't judge them on that. You, you, it's only you can look at yourself and say, am I properly, am I having enough safety in my life where I can start to grow and spread out a little bit, take some risks, move forward, test my, my, my wherewithal? And I've mentioned this before, you need, in order to get courage and bravery, you have to be scared to death of something. You have to have gone through hard, difficult times. Brave and courageous people, they get honored. They get put up on a pedestal, but we forget what they had to do to become brave and courageous. And that is they had to feel unsafe. They had to be scared. So safety is a holding place. It's a transition, it's a process, but it is not a place that you're supposed to reside because we're never completely safe, but the probability of our safety drastically goes up when we're actively working to strengthen all and be more fortified in all the areas that we've identified as weaknesses where we could be attacked. You know, I, I want to I want to add, and as we kind of close, I want to think about... In, when I think about where I was three years ago, um, wishing I could 
I mean, I don't even know about safe places. I, I didn't, like, wow. But anyway, the transition from an unsafe, scared, um, insecure, worried, not sleeping at night, knowing that you're not in control and not being okay about it, um, to into a safe place as a mom where you can welcome your kid to come in and, and create that safe place. I want, I just want to share what I believe is, was my first transition. And it was when I learned about the first responder concept. And for me, and we've joked about this a lot that I was, I'm really good at freaking out. And, um, when I learned that I actually don't have to freak out, that one situation, no matter how scary or daunting or overwhelming it may be, is just one situation. And I could calm, I could calm down. Um, I learned that too late. And so to any mom and dad out there, to any coach, leader, friend. When you're feeling worried, overwhelmed, you can't sleep, your mind is moving in a million different directions, the best thing that you can do is stop freaking out. And I, I know that that's easier said than done. But whatever it takes to stop freaking out, whether that's breathing exercises or a walk or... A, a little hint there, you don't look like a safe place when you're freaking out. Continue. <laughs> it might mean ice cream. Or a safe... Or you don't look like a safe person. No, no. <laughs> you could be Being eating delicious ice cream, but if you're freaking out at Cold Stone, it's not going to look like a safe place. <laughs> that's your first step into a safe place. Safe places are calm. It's reassuring. And I think that when there's anything scary, worried, you detect that fear in others. Be the calm. Welcome people in. Don't ask them questions. Reassure them. And be there for them. Um, that's one of the things that's just one of the many things that I wish I would have learned a little earlier and that I know every one of you who are listening we can all do better at being calm and in a freak out so that's the first step to me of of forming that little safe place for others and for yourself. Yeah, very, very good point because sometimes you can't find a safe space, safe place. So you'd have to create it with inside yourself and figure out ways, depending on your scenario, how you can bring that or how you can build that in other relationships and other places. And if you can do that for yourself, it doesn't matter where you're at and what situation or scenario you're in, you can duplicate that and you can show other people how to do that. And I think that's what you're, no, I don't think that's what you're doing here 
not just as a mother, not just as, um, you know, a mother lost her son to suicide, as someone's gone through hard times, tried to run from safe places. Yeah. And then at the same time, got mad at people that they wouldn't stay in the safe place you created for them. Like, you're supposed <laughs> to stay right here. Don't, don't stress me out and go run off and do things I wasn't expecting. And you realize you bring that everywhere you go. If you have it within inside yourself, you can model it for other people. If you don't bring that with you, it doesn't matter. I was going to sneeze for a second. Okay, fake sneeze. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what you're doing. It matters where you're at within yourself when you're doing it. You could be parenting out of fear and you're like, well, I'm, I did everything I'm supposed to do as a parent today, but you could have done it pissed off and upset and frustrated. Or you can say, hey, you know what? I'm going to take my time today. Maybe I don't get everything done today, but I want to get two or three things done with the attitude and disposition that I'm modeling for my kids that I can handle difficult situations instead of showing them how to freak out, lose my emotions, and teaching them that, listen, you're going to have to create your own safe space because I can't do it for you. Being calm will make every situation better. And I... And even when you're not calm, at least trying to give the most calmest response to a situation, it'll be a whole lot better if you're trying to be calm than if you're not trying to be calm. Right. So, you know, I think that was the message. You know, it's, it's, an, it's been an interesting journey. Um, and, I, and it will continue on. And I have been thankful for people that acknowledge that I need. Yeah, give a shout I out to everybody. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, there's probably too many even. Just in general, how much does it help this past week to just all the messages of love and support that you've gotten? Oh my gosh. It's, it's huge. But nobody could give me that. Nobody could give me the support that I needed if I didn't let people know that I needed support. So if I was hiding in my bed and not saying anything and just feeling sorry for myself, nobody would even know that I needed support. But when I assertively vulnerable, assertively, what would I say? Assertive, when I exhibit, right. exert. There you go, there you go. It's an action. <laughs> assertive vulnerability, even online, even in my neighborhood slash church family, even at work, when I say, this week is going to be this. It gives everybody an opportunity to support me. And that support is imperative. And it's gotten me through. It's gotten me through this far. And so when people say, I don't know how you can do it. I don't know how you've done this. I don't know. I, I couldn't do that. I, I hear that a lot. And you're, you're right. I could not have done it without tremendous amounts of support that I had to allow be there for me because we can't do it alone. We're not meant to do this alone. We're never going to be better off alone ever. And uh, that means that those of you who are listening that are struggling, let people support you. Let people help you be safe until you're ready to go on, to, to go on to the next safe place. You know, I really, I really like that. That's good. Because you're right, I'm, I'm, I'm never totally stable. It's a, 
fluctuation for sure. <laughs> Safety is an ongoing challenge. That's right. That's right. So to you guys, um, you listeners and supporters of the podcast, those of you who have who are on social media supporting, you guys have gotten me through, and I want to thank you. Well, thank you for uh, everything that you've been doing this past week for your family because if that, not if, but obviously that's been huge strides for you. It's helped you. So therefore it allows you to show up and be here and have these conversations and not have to take the next week off of, of <laughs> life's responsibilities because it was just nobody's so overwhelming. Nobody's got time for that. Yeah, no one's <laughs> got time for that. Um, I did want to mention with uh, the podcast today, um, thank you for everyone who signed up for the seminar so far. Um, we, we do have some seats available still. Um, we're not trying to have a huge crowd so I, I, I think that it's safe to say that the seats we have available is going to help people have a great experience to have an intimate experience with Heidi and I in our seminar. And if you don't know about the seminar, you can go to our Instagram page, Facebook page, then you can go to lightthefight.com and you can read about our 2018. Uh, why don't you go and just you know, give the plug for it? You're, really, you're a lot better at that. So it's called Parenting 20, 2018. And... We're, we're really diving in. I call it a deep dive into how, how exactly to optimize your influence as a parent. Whether you like it or not, whether your kids like it or not, you are the greatest influence in their life. But you're outnumbered. And it might not always be the best influence either. <laughs> you may be influencing them just the same way your parents influence you. Heck, I mean, as, as we like to say it, because that means... It needs to break the cycle. <laughs> right, right. You might not be, your your influence might not be coming off in the way you'd like it to be coming There you go. Off. Your intent may not be Equaling. manifested in what you're saying. Yeah. You guys, this topic, and it's one that we will continue to talk about for, I think, years to come probably. Um, learning how to be, an, making sure that your influence as a parent is effective on your children does not mean force. It does not mean coercion. It does not mean shaming. Um, it does not mean um, controlling. Because it's not, you don't have to pay money to screw your kids up. Like, that's easy. Like the, <laughs> doing the wrong thing, using your influence to um, put roadblocks in the relationship, especially when as your kids start getting older or if they have some behavioral issues, whatever, or you're going through financial life issues, it's easy to create a wedge between you and the relationships in your family. But what our um, workshop is going to show you is A, how your influence became so valuable in other people's lives, what you can do to maximize and optimize that influence, and then give you some actionable steps and get you a part of what we've been learning throughout the years to actually well, make Dave's it come to learning. fruition. Yeah, I, I'm I've, still a student. Yeah, well, you've been learning, I've been teaching. That's right. But I'm learning as I'm teaching because I'll always have a new family that comes in. I'm like, oh, this is a rough one. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll have a situation Harsh. that comes up, or, or, yeah, or I'll have a situation that comes up where, um, you know, the things that a family is doing is an evolved version of it. And I take some notes. I said, wow, like you took what I told you and you put your own spin on it. I'll make some mental notes. And we've been collecting that. I've been collecting that data for years and evolving and, and kind of figuring out different ways to teach parents how to be greater influences in their kids' lives. But this is going to be your opportunity to see an actual, this is a systems approach. We're going to break it down to you exactly from start to finish 
how you do this. And then we'll be providing support after our seminar. So anyone that attends this seminar or the seminars in the future will have ongoing support through a private Facebook page where they can ask me and Heidi questions. They can ask the community questions. So you're going to get a lot of back and forth from people. But at the end of the day, you're going to learn how to optimize your influence over your family members, your loved ones. Because at the end of the day, if you don't, someone else is. Someone else is going to be influencing them. Other things are going to be influencing them. And you want to be able to not necessarily control the narrative, but to be a big part of the story that plays out. Because you have your best, you have your kid's best interest in mind. You're wanting to create safe places for them. You're wanting to help them grow and establish great relationships and high levels of success in their own personal and business lives as they get older. But it starts with their relationship with you. Is it a relationship where they see you as a mentor, as a guide through life, or is their relationship with you an obstacle for their life? And trust me, this doesn't come naturally. <laughs> that's, that, that should be your tagline. She's like, this doesn't come natural to me. I need help. No, it, it is not. What, what you will learn is not intuitive, but it is critical. And every parent needs this information. So hopefully we can help the world. <laughs> Change the world. Yeah. Anyway, so if you guys are, if you're local... And um, we would, we'd love to invite you to come. And if not, we'll then be, fly in. Yeah, if not, fly in or just put a request, like we said in our last podcast. Um, we're already entertaining certain cities and areas. And as per usual, we love to hear from you guys. So if you have questions, please um, don't hesitate to contact us. Now you can go to lightthefight.com and you can submit a question right there on the website. You can also send us a DM via. Instagram or on Facebook and um, we respond to the DMs um, in podcast format and um, we love to hear from you so I think by with with that we should probably uh, close close let's wrap it up (laughs) until next time you guys thank you so much for visiting light the fight like she said visit lightthefight.com to get information on upcoming events And until next time, be cool and chill. Be cool for sure. (laughs) Over now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.